This is John Gescheidmeyer of Wisconsin Real Estate Today, your real estate expert. This podcast is designed to equipping people with the teaching and tools they need to succeed in real estate. I hope you enjoy this episode and subscribe for more real estate content. Home inspections are a daily part of real estate in Wisconsin and, and really all over the world. But today we want to talk about the challenges that come along with those inspections, not only from a negotiating standpoint a little bit, what to inspect, what not to inspect, the options that a buyer has available to them when they hire a home inspector, but also some of the weird and quirky things that come up during a home inspection. Let's be honest, folks, there is so much that can come up during a home inspection. And in the previous podcast with my guest, uh, Dave Colasari, who I'll introduce here in a second, you know, we've gone through all the reasons why it's, it's essentially necessary to hire an inspector. Having that second set of eyes, looking for red flags, um, and Dave and his company, Milwaukee Home Site Inspection Service, out of Milwaukee, can can absolutely find those things for you. Welcome, Dave, to um, another podcast edition. Thanks Hi. for being my guest. Thank you. I appreciate it. So let's continue the discussion that we had um, that we had previously started with our previous versions. We went through the overview of what to expect during a home inspection. We talked a little bit about what you do and what you don't do. Now let's get into some fun storytelling stuff. Okay. Let's pretend that you and I are having maybe a beer around a campfire and we're talking stories. All right. And our listeners are there as well. So let's talk a little bit about some of the different things that you have found, what you can find, and, and really explain some of the, the most common things in a home that you are able to inspect and maybe some of the challenges that come with that as well. You know, we said before, you can't see through walls, you can't th see through concrete. Um, you may have a, a, a roof that you can't see because it's snow covered. Those are the things we want to get into today. Okay. All right, let's start with radon. Radon, um, yes. So probably for what, you figure the last seven, eight years or so, radon is, is almost the number one testing concern for people. Uh, yes. If you could talk a little bit about what radon is, how you measure it, what happens after it's it's high. Sure, no problem. Uh, like you said, radon's been a, a, a around for a long time, um, and, and the fact of the matter is, whether you believe in radon or not, some people are I think it's you know just a story because you can't see it, taste it, smell it. Um, it doesn't matter um, because if you don't get your house tested, when you sell it. The client who buys it may get it tested and they may find an issue and you're going to end up paying for that. So it's always recommended to have a radon test and John is right. It's usually the number one ancillary service that home inspectors do. Probably 70% of the inspections have um, a radon test with it. And um, let's talk about radon for a second though. Uh, radon, what is it? It's the natural breakdown of uranium in the soil. Um, and when this uranium breaks down, it creates a radioactive gas that is cancerous. You can't see it, smell it, taste it. The only way you know that it's there is if you have it tested. And this radon gas, I mean, technically is everywhere, okay? So if I go outside right now, I'm gonna have radon gas around me. Um, but there are certain levels that are uh, uh, assumed to be safe and unsafe. And radon is, is uh, measured in picocuries per liter and the action level is four and higher 
should have some sort of repairs done to lower that radon level, okay? So if I go outside right now, the normal Picocuries out there is about 0.4. So it's, it's fairly low and it's, 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 it's not gonna hurt you. But if you're in a basement where there's a lack of air exchange, um, your radon levels may creep, your radon may creep through the basement walls, the cracks, the sump pump crack, and then this radon level can you know, elevate to where it's uh, higher than four picocuries per liter and therefore uh, a repair should be, should be done. Um, that type of repair is usually done by a, a mitigation company that'll come in and, and put, uh, cut some holes in the floor, depending on the house. Every house is designed a little different, so the repair is gonna be a little different. But um, the repair is usually anywhere, I'd say in an average about $1,000, give or take a few hundred dollars and how difficult the house is to repair. So none of, this radon should never really break a deal. And in our world, it usually doesn't. What I do tell people though, if they're listing their home, we talk about the things that they should expect. Mm -hmm. And I tell them, your buyer is more than likely going to test for radon. Mm -hmm. And if it comes back high, you're either going to have to update your real estate condition report, amend it, right? Because you have an obligation to disclose that now. You now know of a known defect. Right. Or you just get it fixed. So a lot of times people say to me, well, should I, should I just test it now? And I tell them, look, you can, but understand that if it comes back high, you have to put in a system to mitigate it. Because to your point, the Environmental Protection Agency has established that 4.0 threshold right and if it comes in higher than that well now you have a known defect in your home what's the highest you've seen we believe it or not they're not what because I, I had to one around the, really high that's why I'm asking I talk to people around the country and our levels are not even close to what they could be the highest one I've seen is about 27 I really yeah I had a 75 in mech one for a buyer of mine that's that'd be the highest I've ever seen well I felt like I was glowing when I left the house no, guess guess, guess where my 27 was. You're not going to believe it. Where? Wauwatosa. Yeah. Yeah. So. But here, the, the, the people get bogged down on the number. The number can be 75. It can be. Give me that. doesn't matter. 0.4. It could be 175. The repair is the same and the cost is the same. Right. And, and I said in the previous episode that it doesn't matter what the defect is. It's a matter of who pays and how much. Right. Right. So the, the fix to this is the radon mitigation system. There's a lot, there's a few companies that do that. Some are better well-known than others mm -hmm. uh, in Metro Milwaukee. But I like it because it's also kind of a whole home dehumidifier. You're right, it, it does. Because it, it's, it's removing moisture and everything else from under the soil. And that has to be exhausted absolutely. above the highest living level. So if you have a two-story colonial, the downside of a mitigation system is you're gonna to have to have this ugly pipe right. outside your house. But you could potentially go through a garage and whatnot. If you're building a house, some great advice for you who are considering building, if your builder does not install a radon mitigation system, do it when you build. It's probably gonna cost you about 600 bucks right. when you build. Um, that is by far the number one thing that people are asking to be tested for, I'm certain. I agree, yep. In, in our industry. Um, let's move on to some other stuff that we can't see. And we've got a whole bunch of really cool things we're gonna talk about this, in this episode. The drain tile system. Yes. Talk about what a drain tile system is, and then we'll talk about the inspection challenges with that. 
Okay, the drain tile is actually underneath the house. It's at the footings of, of the home, buried underneath the house. You can't see it. You may see little, the little ends of the drain tile. If you were to look at a sub-pump crock, you'll see some pipes penetrating the walls. Uh, that's where the drain tile, because the drain tile works by gravity, and it drains all of the water that's coming from underground and from uh, the moisture around the home. It, it, it'll drain into this tile. They call it tile, but it's really like a, a tube. And uh, it drains, like I said, by gravity to the sub-pump crock, where it'll then get discharged outside. So basically, the water comes from outside, it goes back outside. Um, the drain tile itself, you know, we can't see. So what do we do? We look for circumstantial evidence that could indicate issues. Um, that, a very, very easy thing to look for is, uh, if you can picture where the floor, basement floor meets the concrete wall, um, if there's perimeter staining, kind of, it, it would look like baseboard, um, but it's staining. That is a sign that your drain tile might be hampered. And if we see that, we recommend a drain tile test. Um, another thing that we look for is if you open up the sub-pump crock and see tr tree roots in your sub-pump crock, that could be an indication that uh, uh, you have roots that could hamper your system. And for that case, for that reason, we recommend a drain tile test as, all, as well. So, I mean, those are just quick circumstantial evidence signs that you might have an issue with drain tile. So from experience, and I'm not a home inspector, right? right. But from experience, you look for things like efflorescence along the whole right. bottom of that of that wall. And efflorescence is, I like to say, a calcification of moisture or water that could be potentially trapped, <clears throat> you know, in that area behind the wall itself. Right. You know, the block that, and you don't see a lot of this with, with a poured concrete foundation because you yep. don't have that permeation of that moisture. Capillary action, right. So, um, well, yeah, that's more technical. <laughs> <laughs> I love that term. Uh, you sound like a doctor there, uh, capillary. Don't fool yourself. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but those are the signs that you look for. I mean, I can only see so much. And, and I have to tell people, look, I'm not a home inspector, but this is an area that we should make sure that the home inspector keys on when, when we hire them. Right, right. Um, but not, let's be honest, though, Dave. Most agents don't, they, I'm gonna, look, I'm going to say it. They don't know how a home works. You're absolutely correct. You're I mean, they just correct. don't. They don't. They don't. They've never owned a home in some cases. And look, folks, I'm not saying that an agent who doesn't own a home isn't qualified. What I'm saying, though, is we talked about this in the previous podcast. When you hire a home inspector, is it value driven or is it price driven? Because you get what you pay for. Right. Absolutely. All right. Let's talk about so drain tile. Um, incredibly expensive item. Seven ten thousand dollars to have to replace you you look for those we do if you think there's a problem we need a basement company usually correct to come in and do a drain tile test correct. which is usually three holes different parts of the basement and all they do is put water down there and they see where it's potentially blocked and if it makes it to the sump crock because the sump crock should be the lowest point of that system right you're absolutely correct I should be a home inspector. You should. They just run this, watch where the water flows. That's it. Do you want to hire me? Would you hire me if I got my license? Absolutely. <laughs> you better. <laughs> All right, so let's continue on. Let's talk a little bit about the attic. Okay. So the attic, of course, above the living level, you look for a few things up there. You look for the amount and type of insulation and the levels because over time it settles, right, right. especially if it's blown in. Uh, good R value would be? 
Depends when the house is built. We report for what's typical for the house being built. I mean, now they want a good R64, so you're going to have a good... It also depends on the insulation type, too. If you have a, a fiberglass loose fill, that, that has a lower value than, believe it or not, rolled or bad insulation. Um, cellulose, which is like a paper product, very... It becomes very airborne once you're once you're you know messing around with it. So that has a higher R value. But just in R values, if you just want to speak that, you know, I see R50, R55 in newer construction, older homes, R38, um, which is maybe about 12 inches of insulation. And I'll bet you see some where there's just not a lot. A lot of houses will not have uh, any insulation uh, just because of age or. And there's a ton of, you, you can just picture money going straight out from the ceiling, straight well, up through. Usually when there's a lack of insulation, um, it, will, it won't trap the heat in the envelope of the home. So the heat will rise into the attic and that's when we get issues like mold and condensation and things like that, which are a whole other story. Well, so let's continue on with mold. Obviously your inspectors are in the attic, you're looking for mold, you're looking for insulation. You're looking to make sure that there's proper ventilation throughout the entire system. Right. Right. You're determining from at least your experience and your value of what, whether or not air is coming in through the soffits, exiting through the top of the roof. In in a in what I would say to I guess not know else how to put it, but in a symptomatic symptomatic way, systematic is what I would like to say. Right. Right, if you... Because um, those baffles, if those are plugged, you're not getting air coming in. No, it's like clapping with one hand. It doesn't work. That's simple. If you take off one of the systems, air usually comes in the soffit vents and then out the top vent or ridge vent. And if you knock off one, it's, it just doesn't work. So one of the challenges we talked about before we went on the podcast when we were preparing for this was, what do you do in an, old, in an older home? Let's say you have a ranch built in uh, 1950, 1960s. That's not old. Well, just to me. Mid-age home? <laughs> <laughs> and a, a, an experienced home built in the 50s or 60s. Okay. But back then, Dave, the, the construction standards were different. In a lot of these homes, they vented the plumbing, um, like from a shower, right into the attic. Because they figured, well, you know, eventually that air will go out when in fact sometimes it doesn't and it it traps the moisture into the attic hence you end up with mold in some cases because i think it's important and we haven't mentioned this yet your job is to find inspection related issues but also to solve the problem and to, and, and to get the buyer to understand that you know you can have a mold remedi a mold mitigation company come in and, and mitigate and get rid of and neutralize the mold but you got to get to the root of the problem too. You got to fix the source. Right, because it's going to come back in most cases. Absolutely. So like as an example, using my example of that ranch, right? Yes. You're going to probably tell a client, hey, I just want to let you know that if you built this house today, there would be a vent pipe that would go straight out to what we call daylight through the roof. And you don't have that in your house. Because that's how it was built. We learn, we learn better ways to construct homes over the years, right? Well, the scenario you're talking about, bathroom vents, I see that today even in newer homes. You know why? Because uh, a lot of people do things themselves. Um, if they were to put a bathroom vent in, 
they don't know to put it through the roof. Uh, or maybe even a contractor come and put the vent in, but it's easier just to put it in the attic than opposed to as opposed to going through the roof. But yes, every vent, whether it be bathroom, kitchen, um, should have its own exit out of the home. Absolutely, and we do find that probably every single day that there's some vent that vents to the attic and should be terminated out. Now, it doesn't always create a problem, um, but a lot of times it does as well. So the golden rule is every vent should have its own exit out of the house. So there's certain building things that, that are just kind of known to people in the industry, right? right? Like when you're building a, uh, when you're finishing your basement. Yes. When you're building your wall, and I'm going to make this really simple, not okay. use technical terms. When you're building your wall, the two by four that runs on the bottom, mm -hmm. <laughs> that's essentially being bolted down, if you will, to the concrete, mm -hmm. has to be pressure treated. Right. To prevent the moisture, right? Because believe it or not, and I, I this has always been weird to me, concrete traps moisture. Yes. And... You know, it's just like when you when you pour, and I'm not talking about in sun and evaporation because that's part of it, but when you you know concrete is porous, and it's weird to think that it is, just like when you talked about radon before, and I've heard you guys say this before, that radon can permeate several inches of concrete. Yes. That radon gas can, mm -hmm. and you think, boy, how is that even possible? Because right, we think of concrete as this big solid thing, and right. it is. But, but understanding how the home works, understanding the value of an inspector coming in and educating you on these things, to me, is priceless. I will tell you this, though. We've had this in another podcast. If there is a house that already has a, a mitigation system installed, inspecting that mitigation system is beyond the scope of a home inspection. So they do recommend, the EPA recommends, that whether your house has a, a mitigation system installed or not, it should be tested every two years for radon physically testing the air yes because it changes from day to day day to day hour to hour and especially say for instance that you're in a newer subdivision and you've had your house tested for radon and it was fine but all of a sudden they build a house next to you because there was an open lot that is changing the channels in the soil to where radon now can be a problem in your home i guess i never thought about that that's so interesting it should be tested then not to go back to the radon, well, but yeah, it, but you can buy a test kit for twenty five bucks. You can at you know Ace Hardware or mm -hmm. big box stores, whatever Home Depot, and you know you can call. Part of that is you send it in. It looks like right. a little petri dish. Yes, you send it in and you get the results. I mean that's not a bad thing to do. And I, I'm not sale related. I'm just talking about for the safety and well being of your of your family. Right. Um, let's transition to asbestos. You've done a lot of inspections in older homes where yes. you've seen asbestos-wrapped pipes. You've seen 9 by 9 tiles that are affixed to the floor that were probably asbestos. You've seen vermiculite mm -hmm. in an attic. Right. Uh, talk a little bit about asbestos for a minute or two. And then what do you tell clients when you deal with those things? Because asbestos, in theory, I don't want to ruin anything here, is? Undisturbed. Oh, okay. We're going um, there. Okay. Maybe that's where you weren't going with that one, but but anyway, go. To, I'll, I'll I'll give it to you. Go go to asbestos. You're saying undisturbed is not a hazard. Well, um, kind of. Okay. <laughs> First of all, let's let's get the disclosure out there right now. Guess what? Asbestos not part of a home inspection. 
okay? It's beyond the scope of a home inspection. It is an environmental testing type procedure. And we talked about standards in a, in a, in a previous podcast. Um, your home inspector does not have to comment on any type of asbestos, or, or, or I, I would say um, a potential asbestos-containing material, because you really don't know if any material contains asbestos or not unless you have it tested, okay? There's only three things in the world that won't take, that are guaranteed not to have asbestos. Do you know what they are, John? Water? Nope. Air? No. No, that, that's not good. Wood, <clears throat> glass, and metal. Okay. Everything else is fair game. So um, a lot of inspectors do point out certain things that could contain asbestos because other inspectors point it out. And because, believe it or not, because so many inspectors point out certain asbestos products as being potential asbestos products on their home inspections, it's kind of become the process even though it's not the standard. Does that make sense? It does. But I always tell people when they, like sellers as an example, when I walk through a home, I point out things that may or may not come up during a home inspection. Right. If I see nine by nine tiles on a basement floor from a home that was built in the 60s, mm -hmm. more than likely, one can probably guess that if we, you know, if we picked up one of those tiles and brought it to a lab, I know there's one in Wauwatosa that seems to be everybody's go-to, but you know, any lab that can test for it can tell you, yes, it's asbestos. And until that happens, you don't know. You don't. But, but from a disclosure standpoint, that you don't puts want to sellers know. in a... You don't right, want to know. Right. And, I, you know, I, what do you, what do you, it may or may not. I mean, sometimes they'll put that on there. That type of tile that you're talking about, 9 by 9 tiles, not only could the tile contain asbestos, but the mastic underneath could contain asbestos, okay? And most people do just cover that tile up. Um, it's a resilient floor tile that is usually in fairly good condition unless you have a basement that's had water issues and you got cracking. Then you got a whole other issue. But there's other things that could contain asbestos too in a home, and it's 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 um, taping around HVAC ducts. We'll see that quite often. It's a white tape. Um, you're talking you talk 50s, 60s house. That's kind of the era where I'm talking about. Um, also, uh, you you mentioned vermiculite. Vermiculite, believe it or not, there's a trust fund out to to help with vermiculite. I don't know if you knew that. Um, and it looks like kitty litter essentially. It looks like fool's gold. If you know what that is, fool's gold is, you know, so I remember when I was a kid, I went to North Dakota and it was like fool's gold was a, a mineral out there that they would sell just because it looked like gold, but it wasn't gold. Um, so it, it, it kind of looks like kitty litter, I guess you could say that. But for the most part, um, if it's in your house and it doesn't, um, you don't go up in your attic, you know, your, your risk of exposure is pretty low. But just the fact that it could contain asbestos is what buyers and sellers usually hang their hat on. Um, so, how, I mean, that vermiculite is just about everywhere on uh, houses of that era. I mean, I see it every single day. Um, and it, everybody reacts to it different. Some people are worried about it, some people are not. Uh, if you wanted to remove it, like I said, you could get uh, some trust, uh, some help through a trust fund. Um, but you'd have to have it sampled and sent into them to verify that it came from Libby, Montana, which was the, the mine where the vermiculite was contaminated. I, I didn't I didn't know about the trust fund, but but see that's the resource that we we're talking about in per, in previous podcasts, and even in this one to some degree, 
is your inspector is not just saying, you're not just telling clients, hey, this could or be this could be a problem, good luck on that. Mm-hmm. Between the realtor and the buyer, whether they make it part of the negotiating process with the seller or not, you're helping them get to to solve that problem, right? We talk about resolution. Right. Let's um, let's talk a little bit about how you look at a roof during winter months, and then I want to okay. transition into basements. Okay. So you're, you know, I, one of my clients hires you to do a home inspection. It's January. It's just too cold um, for that roof to melt, and now you're doing the home inspection. Well, you can always. This is how I go into it. I look at how how old the house is. So if the house is built in, say, 50, 1950, 1950s, say, that's 70 years. It's a 70-year-old house. Each roof lasts 20 to 25 years, approximately. So I just start estimating how many roofs have been on this house at one time. Or I mean, not at one time, but through its life. So. If the house is 70 years old, I take off 50 years because that's probably two roofs. And then that leaves me with 20 years left. So I'm expecting a really older roof or possibly a fairly new roof if that 20 years, um, that roof has expired as well. But there's things you can look at. Um, Estimated number of layers, you can kind of maybe lift up the edge if you can. If there's too much ice, a little trick is we go into the attic and there's usually a top vents or roof vents that we can see how many layers are there. That'll give us an idea if there's one layer or two layers, and that can also help us uh, age, age it as well. Um, we'll scrape off a little bit of snow to let us know, maybe we can see something real obvious as it being a real bad roof or a real new roof, which can give us some insight. Um, ultimately, 100%, you're right, John, we're not gonna be able to inspect every little part of that roof. There's just no way. But these are things that we can do to kind of give you an idea of whether you have a new roof or an old roof and how many layers might be on it. But you also, in the previous podcast we did, you talked about a guarantee, you talked about a warranty. Maybe it's a good time to throw that in there too. You offer something in a situation like this that does help. Yeah, we offer a couple things because of that reason. One, we do include a five-year roof protection plan with every home inspection. It's absolutely free with the inspection, um, which guarantees, if I didn't mention, Guarantees a roof not to leak for the next five years, or you have uh, they, they have help fixing the leak. They won't replace your roof, but they'll help you fix the leak if there is a leak. Um, two, we also have a guarantee that when the snow does melt, this won't help with negotiating or anything, but if you really want to know the true condition of your roof once the snow melts, uh, we will go back once that uh, snow has melted and kind of give you a verbal as to what the condition of the roof is in. Yeah, you're offering people options, and let's be honest, we talked about this um, you and I, before we, we, we started broadcasting, there's things you can't do based on certain times of the year. So let's transition into what do you do or what do you recommend when someone has a pool or a hot tub that's not operational in a winter month setting? I mean, you don't do those specifically, but people are going to ask you, Dave, what do I do about the pool? What do I, hey, you know, they probably will call you and you're asking questions about the structure and what's a, you know, you may look it up on the internet, look at the photos, so what you're up against. But you're having that conversation with somebody beforehand and you're asking them, all right, just so you know, you've got a pool there. Here it is December. The pool's obviously closed. At least you point them in the right direction, I would assume. 
And there's not too much yeah. you can do in the winter, though. No, there's not. There's not. Um, believe it or not, most home inspectors, I don't know of any home inspector in this, being in northern climate in this area, that inspects for pools. We're actually training to do that for the summer months. Um, down south, a, a pool inspection is very common with the home inspection. It's part of it, you know. Uh, being in winter, even if we were re would refer you to a pool professional, because there are companies that will come out and inspect your pool, all they can do is to ensure they ensure that it's hooked up properly. Right. That's it. They can't run anything. Um, there's certain things like grounding um, that they have to look for, and they would just verify that that's done completely. But for the most part, yes, it's you are taking more risk in winter buying a home as you would in, of course, summer. But but you look at everything you can. You know, like we talked about the undersize of of a roof, you know, for leaking and whatnot. Right. I mean, there's there's things that you can look for. Um, I think the last thing I want to transition to before we wrap this up is, is a finished basement. Obviously, you know, different parts of the country, they, they don't have to worry about basements. Right. I remember talking to a guy who called one time um, in Menominee Falls, and he asked me, he said, well, what are my concerns of, you know, from a buyer's standpoint if I don't have a basement? And I said, well, most people in our climate do expect a basement. So you're going to lose buyers for sure, but let's look at the bright side of it. The other side is no basement, no basement problems. Right. Um, if you can't see, let's say you have 65, 70% you know, finished basement space, mm -hmm. there's still things you can look for. You know, you can look for cracks in drywall Absolutely. and things like that, but, but you can't see beyond those. So how do you handle those challenges? Well. John, that's, we do get calls like that. They, they're concerned about the basement just because they can't see it. It's finished. What can you do to look at the basement? Well, I don't go into a home and say, well, it's covered up. I can't look at it, so good luck. No, I do my due diligence to see if there's any circumstantial evidence to look for or find problems. One of the easiest things you can look at is, I don't know if you can picture, on the exterior of the house where the dirt comes up to the house, um, there's usually a, a concrete exposure. You, the foundation will be exposed maybe six to eight inches between the dirt and the siding. And um, that'll tell you if it's a concrete block foundation or if it's a poured foundation. But that particular foundation area around the house of the exterior can, can show signs of cracking or movement whether the basement's finished or not. So what I'm saying is I've been in the house starting my inspection within, within five minutes, I know there's a basement issue because I can see the cracks, the tall tale signs. And then of course I want to go into the basement and find out, you know, did they have repairs or what kind of movement is actually going on. Um, so that's one thing that can put up a red flag. But also something really easy, very easy that anybody can do is take a look at the basement windows. Are they tilted in? If, if the foundation wall moves, the basement window will tilt in with it. Um, so that's an evidence that there might be some movement behind the wall as well. Um, and then, of course, you're just looking at the, the areas of the basement that you can see. Look for the cracks. Cracks don't just stop. So if you see a crack and it goes behind drywall, there's some cracking going behind the drywall. There's no doubt about it. Um, but I've gone into basements that are completely finished, and there's always usually one closet that's open, you know, for the main water shut off, and it's like a, you can see the, type, the foundation there. And I'll see a, a specific crack that is enough to call out the whole basement. You know, it gets people in an uproar because they, they think, they, you know, you don't know what you're doing. 
But once somebody comes and verifies it, they're like, I can't believe you saw that. And the crack I'm talking about is the first mortar joint off the floor. Um, you'll see the floor hit the foundation wall, and then a block will come up, and it's the first mortar joint. If there's a crack there, that's some significant movement, and it should be evaluated. So you, again, you look at the exterior, you look at the basement windows, and of course, any of the finishings, if there's damage, if there's cracking, um, but then the walls, you look at the components, you can see it to see if there's any circumstantial evidence that could uh, lead, uh, lead, lead you to believe there's some movement or issues. So just another illustration that you're essentially a house detective. Yes. And, you know, just like any detective, and I used to do a lot of investigations in law enforcement, you don't always get all the clues to solve the, the puzzle. No. You don't always get the puzzle pieces, and they're not always in order. So you have to take what you can. And I love the fact that you said the exterior gives you a good idea. And one common misconception that people have with, with making sure that you have proper grade away from the house Mm-hmm. is they just think because there's a whole bunch of mulch there and it looks good that that's the case. And I always tell my buyers, after you buy the house, when it gets nice out, take a good solid rake, peel that back, and just make sure. Right. If you need to add soil or dirt. I, I mean, I can't tell you how many times people, especially on the seller side, opposite of my transaction, I was the buyer's agent, where they had to put thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars into foundation repairs. And essentially, it was all caused by either improper grade during, you know, let's say a late fall rain that eventually froze below the, below the surface to push that wall right. in, or downspouts that came undone, and now you have all that water going straight down. A lot of it's maintenance. A lot of it can be pre- prevented. Maintenance. Uh, absolutely. And, and to the tune of thousands and thousands of dollars, uh, Dave, I think you've given us some really awesome things to think about. And and these challenges come up every day. Every day. In your home inspection processes. But I think the lesson learned is that there are things you can look for as best as humanly possible. Again, not every inspection is ever the same. Just like people aren't the same, houses aren't the same. And you've got to go in and do your detective work as best as you can. And, uh, you know, an absolute must as far as I'm concerned in hiring a good, a good home inspector. Thank you so much for your time. I want to make sure we give out your contact information again. MKEHS.com is the website. Uh, you can also get there at MilwaukeeHomeSite.com, MKEHS.com. Your phone number is? 414-321-1070. Don't hesitate to call if people have questions in general. Absolutely. We'll help anyone. Our guest today was Dave Colisari with Milwaukee Home Site Inspection Service out of Milwaukee. Thanks again for your time. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. Take care. Take care, everybody. You're listening to Wisconsin Real Estate Today. This session of Wisconsin Real Estate Today has come to a close. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast and let others know if you found this content useful. Until next time, make today your best day.